appreciate that. I actually just that is my maybe my own uh, little war against uh, what's going on everywhere else. You know, the kids hadn't got out of their costume and started in their candy, and Christmas is here already. All the decorations are out, and and so uh, that's this is uh, my attempt to uh, say, okay, fine. Then I'm going to keep make sure we keep directing our attention towards the the reason for this season. Uh, but actually, it fits into where we're going as we start a new series this morning in anticipation of the celebration of that baby in the manger. And, and so we're going to be talking about things that are, in, that are actually behind the scenes of Christmas, kind of looking in the rearview mirror and saying, okay, before the baby in the manger, what was the story? What, what went on? What that kind of a conversation went on in heaven that led to that as the solution, as that uh, as the way to you know to to provide what what as God looked down on this earth and He saw the men and women, children, and and He and He knew that there was a searching for something and and they had a sense that something was missing, but they didn't know what it is, and and God knew, and so He said, "Let's provide." what they know is missing. Let's help them understand. And, and so that's the backstory of, of that manger scene. And, and that's what we're going to be walking through and talking through in the weeks ahead to kind of keep on track as we celebrate this season. And I want you to know, I'm encouraged by the fact that all over the world, uh, the birth of Christ is celebrated. Now, not everybody knows why they're celebrating. They just know that they're celebrating. And, and that's, that's, uh, that's exciting that that God stepping into our world made such an impact on the world that even people that don't know why celebrate. Uh, but I want to make sure we know why. And I want to make sure, in fact, that we know the bigger story of, of the Christmas picture. And so, so we're going to be going. If you, you want to go ahead and in your devices, you can get to uh, Philippians 2. And that's where we'll be spending our time for the next few weeks, right up till we get into Christmas. Uh, the uh, actually the men upstairs have been st- they started to study the book of Philippians this past couple Wednesdays ago and and uh, and so they're walking through that whole book and and this is another one of those we talked a few weeks ago about that one of the men that wrote a lot of what we call our Bible that he actually wrote letters he wrote letters to churches that God used him to help begin and and this is a guy named Paul and, and remember if you you know the story before. When Christ actually is walking on this earth, Paul was not a fan of Christ. He was anything but. His, in fact, his, if you were to ask him what his life purpose was, in his mind it was to, to stamp out this, this group of, of uh, raggly individuals that were following that guy Christ uh, until he met the resurrected Christ. And then everything changed. And, and so God sent Paul out and, and others out to establish churches, to, to tell people about Christ, and as a result, start churches. And, and so then Paul would write letters back to those churches, and Philippians is, is one of those letters. Uh, and it's interesting, uh, as we found out in the men's study, Philippians is unusual in, in this respect. It is the only letter that Paul wrote to a church where he wasn't trying to deal with the problem. Uh, this letter, there's none of that. There's none of this, you know, why did you do that? And, oh, you're going the wrong direction. And uh, uh, he, he actually, this is from the get-go, it's an encouraging letter. He is very pleased by what God has been doing in the church in Philippi. Uh, and, uh, and so, and he has some really exciting things to say. In fact, uh, uh, one of the, the backdrops of this is, is uh, just, he, uh, 
he's giving them reason to rejoice. In fact, one of the things Matt Chandler said is, uh, this is the best, this is the, the coffee cup book of the Bible. And I thought, what does that mean? And he said, well, it's because all these little phrases you see on coffee cups, rejoice always, you know, pray always, uh, in every giving give thanks, and, they all, and, and most of those come out of the book of Philippians, so, so it's a really good coffee cup book. It's, it's a very encouraging book, and, and that's what the heart of uh, Paul has in, in this letter, is to really encourage him. In fact, uh, as we began upstairs, uh, right, early on in the first chapter, he makes a statement, which I think it's such a cool statement, because probably every one of us, if you're a if you have stepped into that relationship with God because of what Jesus did on the cross, then even as a follower or, or a child, actually, there are those times when, you, you know, life events or decisions that we make, they, they cause us to question, to wonder, you know, man, did, did, I, did I do something in that moment that caused God to move back and, and say, you know, withdraw his love from us. And, and one of the things that, that, that Paul says early on, and I love this verse, uh, in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And, you know, he's saying, it's not up to you. It's, up, it's not up to me. I'm, he, God, will carry it on. He's, gonna, he's watching over us, and, and he will carry on what he began in our life on that moment we made that decision until it's completion. And later on, he'll, he'll talk about the fact that uh, there will come a day when, when we'll become citizens. But here's, here's a common theme in the, in the Bible, and I think it's what Paul is doing here as well. I found in my, in my study the last few years that, that, you know, when God, so often in our perspective, even, even as, as we understand the gift of salvation, we tend to add things to that gift. And so, it, you know, we start saying, well, yeah, I, I believe that uh, forgiveness was a gift and I'm in a relationship now, and, and, uh, but, I, but I better do this or, or you should do that or whatever the case may be. But there, and, and so God steps in and he says, I want to encourage you to do some things. And Paul's going to talk about some things that he wants us to, to make sure are part of our life. But when God does it, it's always from this framework of, here's what God has done. And in response, it's not do this or else. It's if you understand the heart of God for you, you can't help but respond this way. And, and Romans 12 is one of those where he says, you know, based on the mercy of God, give yourself to him. And, and so not out of a, oh, I better or else, but out of this heart that says, oh, God, I understand. And, and remember a few weeks ago, we, we spent some time looking at Isaiah, and here's Isaiah, and he comes, he comes into the presence of the holiness of God, the glory of God, and it has this dramatic effect on him. If you were here, you remember he, it, it caused him to suddenly be totally aware of, of all the sinfulness of his life. In fact, even to the point of, of, of what would maybe seem ridiculous to us, because he actually says, you know, he's, he says, I'm ruined. And what he's doing there, he's calling a curse on himself. It's kind of, he's kind of like saying, someone, please put me out of my misery. And then we find out that the reason he feels that way is he says, because I am a man of unclean lips. And, and then we, we dug into that. And, and, you know, I'm thinking something vulgar, something, you know, but in reality, what the word means is he says, I've, I've misspoken about God as his prophet. I've said things that were incorrect or maybe for the wrong motivation. Uh, and <clears throat> that has caused him to be so aware of his sinfulness that he's saying, come on, someone finish me off now. 
And, and then God steps, and if you remember the story, God, God talks, sends one of his angels to Isaiah, and he takes a coal from the altar, and he takes the coal towards Isaiah's lips. And remember, we talked about the fact that I think, I think based on what's not said in the passage, and it is an argument from silence, but no, nothing in the passage brings, Isaiah's not flinching. He sees this hot coal coming towards his lips, He's not backing away. He's not flinching. There, it's it's almost like he has this attitude of bring it on, because I am so sick of what I see about myself that if if I have to go through the agony of having my lips seared, then I would. And if it'll if it'll help relieve this this pain in my soul for who I am, then bring it on. If I could never speak again because of the scarring and what it does, then bring it on. I just need to get rid of this thing that's, that's in, that's gripped my soul. And so the coal comes to him, and remember, when it, when it actually touches his lip, there's no indication that there's any pain at all. And later on, Isaiah is going to write in Isaiah 53, by his stripes were healed. He takes the pain on our behalf. And, and I think he experienced it at that moment, and so he was suddenly gripped by the mercy of God. What should have happened didn't happen. What he felt he deserved, in fact, welcomed just to get rid of the guilt, none of that took place. And he's overwhelmed by the mercy. And then a few minutes later, God says, I have a job I need someone to do. And and I don't think Isaiah would have even taken a second thought earlier on. He would have thought, not me, not with what I know about myself. But now because he's experienced the mercy of God, he says, here I am. Send me. See, that's what it does. When we have right perspective about God and, and his relationship to us, it should make a, a dramatic difference in us. And So that's where we want to go this morning. And before we dig into this, I'd like us to, to pray together, and then we'll start digging into this passage. Father, thank you. You know, we, we say that to you not even comprehending what, what, what all we're thinking, we should be thankful for. We get glimpses, we get tastes, we get images of, of bits and pieces of what you have done in our lives. And, and, and even in these next few weeks, we're going to get a glimpse into what you were doing before we were even on this planet. How you had already set up your plan for how to rescue us. In fact, Paul will write at one point, even when we were your enemy, we didn't care. We didn't want to know you. We didn't want you interfering with our life. Even in that, in that situation, at that time in our life, you still had already provided a way out to rescue us. And, and so we're going to talk about that together as we think about this special season. And, and even this week as we gather to give thanks that, that we have so much to be thankful for. So guide us in our conversation this morning. And, and uh, Lord, just... Uh, each of our hearts, there's something you want us to take away from us. Uh, help us to catch that, Lord. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. We've all had those moments in our lives where there was a, uh, a shift. An event that took place. And maybe some of you are young enough, you haven't yet particularly. But if you've lived any time, there's this event. And, and really nothing's been the same. I, for... Uh, one of those events for me uh, happened about 30 years ago. In fact, I had to call my mom because I couldn't remember. I was thinking 20. It seems like everything is a lot, you know, it's, it's really gone fast because it's like really 30 years, but it was. Uh, 
at the time, uh, we, Mary Lou had just lost her dad. So we had gone through, she, he had had a long-term illness, and, uh, and so there had been, for about a year, there were weeks where my wife would be, uh, we were living in Maryland, she'd be up in New York helping her mom uh, take care of her dad, and, and, uh, and watching him slowly fade, and then, and finally, uh, he lost the battle. To, he had emphysema and lung cancer, and he lost that battle. And so we were both, our whole family, we were, we were pretty raw from that experience. And I remember it was just a couple of weeks, and it was just about this time of year, a couple of weeks after uh, that took place, one day I get a phone call, and, and it's the assistant director of the mission that I was a part of. My father was actually the director of my brother. Uh, still in this mission, and and, uh, and he called, and here's what he said. He said, Paul, uh, your dad's been in a serious accident. Uh, they've taken him to the hospital. That's all I can tell you right now. And as I hung up, uh, first thought was, that's not all I'm going to be satisfied with. No, I didn't even know what was going on. And so I called the hospital, uh, and uh, you know how it is in the hospital nowadays, for good reasons, but they didn't want to give me any information. And so uh, I, I turned on my uh, authoritative pastor voice and and uh, got a little more demanding that I said you my mother is there you find my mother and you put her on the phone and so after a little more of that persuasion and probably not too much godliness but a lot of persuasion they said all right we'll see if we can find your mother they found her and pretty soon she came to the phone I still remember she she get on the phone I said mom what happened and and uh, what happened was my my dad had uh He'd, he'd been out they had a uh, in their garage they had a real tall ceiling like 12 foot ceiling and dad was up on a ladder in the attic trying to get something down, and he didn't realize that one of the legs of the ladder was on a piece of cardboard, and it slipped. And when it slipped, it twist, and it threw him. And uh, so he fell out of the attic, and when he came down, he landed. They had uh, some cupboards in their, in their uh, uh, garage, and he came down on the, on the cupboard, and it actually ripped his spleen completely in two. Uh, by the time the paramedics got there, he had no blood pressure. And, uh, and so my mom told me all that, and then she said, uh, they'd taken him into surgery. And Paul, the surgeon, said uh, he doesn't expect him to survive. Pray. Which, naturally, I did. I can't say that all my conversation with God was, uh, was uh, probably what he wanted to hear. But uh, you know what you do in those circumstances. But my dad survived. But here's where the shift took place. Because I remember... Uh, once we, he was out of surgery and, and, and we knew he was going to be okay, uh, I remember saying to my mom, I'm, gonna, I'm coming out. And she said, no, wait a couple of weeks. You know, your, dad, dad, your dad's okay now. He's safe. And he'll be in the hospital for at least 10 days anyway. And so then come out. And so we made plans to come out, Mary and I, and we flew out. And, and here's where I noticed, first noticed the shift because I remember, you know, my dad and I are kind of, we're in our relationship, we're kind of that old school uh, there's a great affection between us, but we didn't show the affection. It just wasn't something we did. You know, when I would see my dad, you know, I'd walk up and, and uh, we'd shake hands, you know, and he might put his hand on my shoulder, but that, that was the extent of it. And I remember the first time I saw him after the accident, and it was a surprise. We didn't tell him we were coming. We just showed up. And I remember walking into that room, and I walked towards my dad, and I put my hand out, as I always did, to shake his, and he grabbed my hand, and he pulled me in, and he embraced me, and he kissed me. And since that day, the handshake's never been enough. It was a shift. It was a turning point in our life that 
that we have never gone back from. It changed things. I was reminded recently of something else that changed. Uh, you know uh, that uh, we moved recently. Some of you are just now recovering from that move because you were there with us, and we appreciate that a great deal. But, you know, a couple of days after I moved, I realized, I remembered, and you're going to find this hard to believe because you're thinking, how could you have forgotten something? But I remembered there's some stuff in the attic of the garage that I had forgotten, and uh, so I called the landlord and said, could I re- got a couple of things in the attic. Could I get into the garage to get it, and, and he said, sure. And so the next morning, I uh, loaded my ladder into my truck, and my wife saw it and said to me, are you getting in the attic the, at the house? I said, yeah. And she says, do not get on that ladder until I'm there. And I said, okay, I'm going to do it after, after office hours. So, uh, well, about halfway through the day, I get a message on my phone. It beeps, and there was this message from my wife says, again, do not get on the ladder until I am there with you. And so at the end of the day, I did the office. I messaged her right before I was leaving. I said, I'm heading over to the house to, to, to get in the attic and get that stuff down. And I got this message back one more time. I repeat, do not get into the attic until I'm there to be with you. And it's going to take me about 20 minutes. So do not get in the attic. Well, I, I messaged her back. I said, you know, this is not a big deal. You'll be there by the time to find the body. And she didn't appreciate my humor. <laughs> it just, it wasn't appreciated at all. But another, see, we, so here's an impact. My wife doesn't trust Kennedy men have a rep- reputation on ladders, and she doesn't trust me on ladders. So, you know, uh, but we have those experiences where things shift and they change. Never to be the same. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He, he, not only as he writes to these people, not only does he say things have changed based on what you know, but I want to talk to you about something that you may not even understand that actually took place in the heavenlies. A conversation that, that I'm going to make you a little privy on that where a decision was made. How do we let the humanity know what it is they need. How do we rescue them? And so as he begins this conversation in in Philippians chapter 2, he says, what you already know and what I'm about to tell you should have this shift in your life that causes this to be true of every person who says they're a follower of Jesus Christ. And so follow, I want to read verses 1 through 11. We're only going to look at verse 1 this morning. But this whole section is what we'll be working through. So follow as I read. Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should not not look only or look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. The very Nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're going to walk through some things in this next few weeks that Paul says should be a life shift. They should change our perspective on everything. We should never see the world or our life or experiences the same way. And, and so that's what we're going to walk through together. I'm going to start with, with this first verse. If you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete. And First of all, you need to understand that when it says if, it doesn't mean if, okay? What it's really saying is, of course, you're encouraged. Of course, you're comforted. Uh, of course, you, you sense the fellowship. And of course, it's causing you to be tender and compassionate. That's really what that's saying. It's, it's not like we would read it. And so, so when you read those words, understand, he's saying, He's assuming if we understand, if we really understand even a, even a tidbit of God's heart for us, these are just going to be true. And, and so here as we step into this series and into this morning's message, that, that probably is the first question. Because the first thing that should, you know, you kind of do a, a, a self-evaluation and you say, hmm, encouragement is not really my default. I, lots of times, am not feeling comforted about where I am with God. And, and, so, you, and so, so this is the opportunity to say, okay, why not? What's going on? And, and uh, do some regrouping. So, but let's walk through these things. There's some shifts that he says that should take place once we start to comprehend God's heart for us. Now, part of that is what we do, we, we're going to celebrate as we look at that baby in the manger. And that's the visible the visible indication of God's heart for us as he stepped into our world. But part of it is what took place even before that. In fact, even before humanity was created, as God said, what can we do for the lostness of humanity and made a decision. And so that's what we're going to walk through. But he says there's some life shifts that should be a part of who we are if we really understand who, is God, who God is and and where he is for us. And the first one is, is he said it should cause a general attitude of encouragement. Later on, he's going to talk about some things. He's going to say, this is true of you. He's going to say, number one, you need to know that the moment you stepped into a relationship with God because of what Jesus did, Christ did, you became a citizen of heaven. You know that song, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. That's a reality. That's not just a song. It's not, you know, it's, it's the truth about you if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you accepted that gift, you're not a citizen of this world anymore. You, your citizenship is in heaven. In fact, he says, someday soon, you're going to get a new body. It's coming. And I got to tell you, that didn't mean so much to me back when I was 21. I'm really, really looking forward to that now. You know, more every single day. So, so, but it's coming, and it's a reality. It's, it's not a if. In fact, he says, these things, as you begin to understand these things, here's one of those coffee cups things. It should cause you to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice, you know. 
uh, I love it. I think it was, I uh, uh, can't remember if it was Moody or one of the guys says, you know, it, it, Christians look like they've been soaked in pickle juice. Or, you know, they all got this sour look. Well, that shouldn't be the, that should not be true of us. But, but maybe it is, and then maybe it's because we don't really understand. So he says there should be this life shift, this, this general attitude of encouragement. And, and he says, because here's what's true of you and me. You have been united with Christ. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. That, that word united means a primary preposition denoting fixed position and by implication a relation of rest. Here's what it means. This is settled. If you know Christ is your Savior, you have been united with him. And the way this is stated is, that discussion is over. You shouldn't have it anymore, inwardly or with anyone else. I know I know who I am. I know I am Christ. In fact, another way it could have been translated is that you're in Christ. You are now, the moment you accepted that gift that we celebrate, starting with that baby on, on the, in that manger, you are in Christ from that point on. And I tried to figure out, well, how, how do I illustrate that? Well, it was re- a couple of years ago, actually, we were, we were visiting with uh, Melissa and Travis at their place when they were out in uh, New York still. And I was sitting on the front porch, and my cell phone rang, and, and lots of times when it's, I didn't recognize the number, and, so lots of times I don't answer. I wait to see. I don't know what the rest of you do. So if I don't have your number, contact your, no, you know what's going on here. I wait to see what the, if they leave a message, and if they do, I figure it's important. So, but this, for whatever reason, when it rang, I answered. Maybe I was on vacation. I thought, I'll, I'll just answer it. And I recognized the voice in the other end immediately. His name was Jeff. He said, hey, Paul, this is Jeff. And it's like, okay, here's a blast from the past. And Jeff had been a part of my church in Maryland. And Jeff had been one of those stories that Jeff was uh, uh, completely trapped by alcoholism and it was destroying his life. And this guy was such a talented man. He's one of these guys that he, he had people, he would be flown by wealthy individuals all over the world. They would buy, he, he was one of those guys that if they, they would buy, some wealthy man would buy a castle, you know, over in Europe. And then they'd fly Jeff over there to design, redesign the castle and restore it. He just, and so this just, uh, just a really talented individual. But, but alcohol was destroying his life, everything about it, his marriage. And, and so we'd had a lot of conversations, and he eventually stepped into a relationship with God and, and did real well for a while. And then, and then when I moved away, I lost, I lost track of Jeff. I didn't know exactly what went on. And, and that day I got this phone call from him, and, and I said, Jeff, how are you doing? And he says, well, better today, but I need to tell you my story. And so he began to tell me that after uh, we had parted ways and I hadn't seen him, he kind of disappeared, and he said, I, I walked away from my relationship with God. I said, God still loved me, but, but I really didn't want anything to do with him. I got back into the bottle, and he said, pretty soon it ended my marriage with Denise, and, and my children didn't want anything to do with me. And he says, and one day I woke up, and I thought, you know, really, I'm not any good to anybody, and, and certainly have disappointed God, and, and I'm disappointed myself, and I ought to just end it today. He said, so I got, he had, he had a boat. He always loved the water, and he's out Chesapeake Bay. So he got on my boat, and I pointed out to the ocean, and I went out. Just It was a stormy day, rough waters, but I just made my way out and got out several miles out into the ocean. And then I locked the engine in gear as it was going, and I jumped over, and the boat went off. He said, the moment I jumped in the water, I thought, you idiot, what have you done? He said, suddenly changed my mind, but it was too late. 
He says, so I fought and I struggled for, for as long as I could and eventually I realized that I was done. I couldn't go on anymore and I gave up. And I began to sink under the water and I knew this was it and I was going to meet my maker. And he says, at the, at the last possible second, as I am sinking into the waters, all of a sudden someone, something grabs my shirt collar and jerks me out of that water and I find myself thrown into the bottom of a boat. And what he didn't realize is some fishermen saw him floundering out there. He couldn't see because of the waves. He's down in the water. And, he, and, and so they had made their way in the stormy waters towards him. And, and just as he was done, they got to him and, and pulled him out. And, and, he said, and he said, the moment I hit the bottom of that boat, and I was in that boat, he said, I suddenly realized it's okay. Well, that's what in means. And if you accepted that gift of forgiveness, your relationship with God was restored forever, and you're in Christ. That's a fight you never have to fight again. It's done. You have been united with Christ. And he says, and the, and the impact that should have on us is it should, it should cause us to have a general attitude of encouragement. You know, Encouragement means I'm constantly lifted by this and helped by this encouragement means to come alongside and he says so and so it's not this idea this happy-go-lucky life is wonderful i never have a problem and there's no hard things it's not that that's not what it means in fact people who go around like that they don't need help they need a hospital because that's not the reality but it's a it's a sense in in, in fact uh uh peter wrote he said he said he calls talks about this joy in the midst of grief it's this sense that no matter what, I know it's okay because I know I'm in Christ. And in fact, Jesus himself said, this, this world's full of troubles. But don't be afraid. Because greater is he that is in, that is in you than he that is in the world. And so he said, one of the impacts, one of the life shifts that you and I, when we really start to comprehend that baby in the manger and the decision that led to that and, and, and our future that he's going to talk about later in this book that we're not even going to get to, he says the, in, the implication, the indicate what that should do is in that shift it should make in your life is you always have this sense of encouragement, even in the midst of those hard times. So there's one. He says, there's another one, though. Another life shift that, that that knowledge should cause is that there is a consistently we're comforted by his love. And, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this. You know, there's a lot to be said for security. Uh, and that's the reality. You know, uh, if you're in, in, the, in the area, in the field of education, you know, that word tenured is a very important word because when you reach that point, that's a security position. It's not, it doesn't mean... You know, nothing can happen, but it's a pretty safe place to be. And, and it's pretty nice to know, okay, I'm secure, that everything's, you know, uh, they're going to have to work really hard to get rid of me. And, and unless you, the administrator or whoever it is over you is a miserable individual to be working with, you know. And then it doesn't matter how secure you are, it's still not a fun place to be. And unless you have Andrew as your administrator, then you're okay. But, you know, so, so there's something to be said for security but, you know, there's a lot of folks that are, yeah, they feel very secure in their job, but they hate it because they have a boss who's unfair or, or uh, uh, undercuts them or, or, and, and he can't get rid of them, but he can sure make, or she can sure make life miserable for them. And, but that's not 
the case for us. Not only are we secure, but we have, as a God, our God, someone who loves us more than we even understand. And that, and that love that it's speaking of is, is that word agape. We've talked about that before, that, that unconditional love. In fact, some of the, the words that, that Paul uses to describe it in another book to the Corinthian churches, it's a love that is patient, that is kind that doesn't track wrongs, that trusts, that protects, that never gives up, that never fails. And that's the way God loves you and me. And so he says, one of the things that should do, not only do we feel secure because we know we're united with Christ, but we're comforted. Even in the midst of, of circumstances that we don't understand, we're comforted because I know God loves me. And I know what kind of a love it is. And, and so, I don't know what's happening here. But I know who's in charge. And I know his heart's for me and for you. And so there's this shift that takes place in my life. Once I understand that, with, that where I'm, I'm, even when circumstances go nuts, there's this comfort inside because I'm, I know God. And you remember when we studied prayer, that he starts off by saying, first thing you need to know is when you address God, understand you're talking to your father, your intimate, tender, loving father. And so there's a shift that's supposed to take place. And then a third shift, he says, is, is you should, from that point on, once we really understand what's going on, there should be this powerful awareness of God's presence that, you know, the one of the things that happened, when you invited Christ, when you took that baby and, and, and he became more than just a reason to pass around gifts, he actually became an indication of you of God's heart and love for you, and, and you understood that the reason he went to the cross as a, as a grown man was to take away what had broken your relationship with God. And, you, and so you, you latched onto that, and you accepted that forgiveness. And, and, and so one of the other things that takes place is God comes and lives within you. Now, why does he do that? Just so that you have a sense he's there? No, he wants, he wants fellowship. He wants, in fact, and fellowship means community, communication, participation, communica- in, uh, communion, intimacy with God. He says, I, I'm living within you because I love being with you. I love us to talk. I want you to be aware of the fact that I am with you every second of every day and I want us to have an intimate relationship. I want us to be in, co- in communion and conversation all the time. I don't ever want you to feel like you're alone. Ever. And Paul says, when we come to understand God's heart for us, that's one of those shifts that take place. All of a sudden, it's like, man, he's here. I can talk to him. Lord, you know, you know what I'm going through right now? And, Man, I just I need to talk to you about this because I'm not sure what should what I should do next, how I should respond, what I should say, and and he said, ah, that's what I want to do. There's suddenly this powerful awareness of God's presence, and so you ask yourself because because that's you know I don't know your 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 situation. I know in my own life there was a period of time even after I became a follower of Christ where. These things were not true. Because I didn't really comprehend what God's heart was for me. And, and so, you know, I, I knew intellectually, I mean, I'd gone to Bible college and got the degrees. I knew intellectually 
that, uh, uh, you know, that, that God was for me and that, uh, you know, my sins had been t- taken care of. But, but I really didn't understand God's heart for me. And so, uh, you know, there were, I get discouraged. And, and uh, you know, there were times when, uh, even though I knew I was secure mentally, I really wasn't comforted by that fact too much. So, so you've got to ask yourself, is this true of me? Because if it isn't, then it's because I don't really get it yet. I don't understand the heart of God. And, and then he says the last, sh- last shift is when you really comprehend that, when we really get an understanding of this, it, it changes our heart. Our relationship with others change. We, we suddenly have this tenderness and compassion that is simply a part of who we are. And, and why? Because, because I understand who God is and, and I understand his heart for me and, and I can't help when I understand his compassion and his tenderness for me, I can't help but let that spill over on the people around me. And, and so we pause at this moment and say, okay, is that me? Are these things true of me? Has my life ever made this shift to where that these are just the reality? And if not, then that's why we're walking through this study together. Because come Christmas morning, we hand gifts back and forth to each other. I want our hearts to be full to the brim of the realization of who God is for us and how much he loves each one of us. And let me say this to you. If you're a person sitting here today and you have never stepped into that relationship with him, that's his heart for you. You're wondering what's missing and you know something's missing. Because you've tried, and, and several times you thought it was this or that, and, and you've chased that, and it didn't work. And, and so you're still saying, well, there's something missing. I'm telling you what it is. You were, you were created to be in relationship with God. And that relationship was broke because you sinned, just like I sinned. And that sin broke our relationship with the Holy God. But he said to you, I, I will forgive those sins, all of them, past, present, and future, and restore the relationship. And that's what he's waiting for you to do, accept the gift. And So as you move into the season, why don't you start with that gift? Let's pray. Father, we're going to begin looking at this pull back the curtain behind the scenes glimpse into why you decided to do what you decided to do on our behalf. We move in and celebrate this week. We're going we're gonna to give thanks. We're going we're gonna to eat. We're going to watch a little football. We're going to enjoy family. But in the midst of all that, uh, especially your children, we're, we're giving thanks because we have at uh, least a glimpse of who you are in your heart for us. And so I pray for a good celebration for all the families represented here. But especially as we move into this Christmas season, the season where we celebrate the birth of our Savior. I pray that this time in your word will help us to see Christmas in a clearer fashion than we ever had before. In fact, we'll see it in such a, with such clarity that it will cause a shift in our life, if it hasn't already. Thanks for this time together as we began this morning. I pray that it's been a good beginning. And I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.